ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Relegated FC. This week, um, during our international break, we are delighted to have two of our favorite guests back with us again, Mr. Chris, Ritty, Chris Whittingham and Mr. Alejandro Solana. Two mouthfuls of names. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to get straight into it with, with their um, two well, Chris, are you from Colombia? I don't want to say two native countries without knowing yeah. for sure. Alejandro, okay, Alejandro, Solana, were you born in Uruguay? No, I was born in Kendall, but both of my parents. <laughs> both, both well, of my that's, parents, that's why this is yeah. relegated FC. So. Yeah, that, uh, of course, you rep Kendall so hard. I should have known. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I am. Uh, I was born in uh, Hialeah, represent. Hey. Uh, and uh, my, my mom was born in Colombia and then moved here. And my dad was born in Los Angeles to a pair of Colombian parents. So I'm almost entirely Colombian by blood. Got you. So yeah, during this international break, um, one, how do we, how do you pronounce it right? Uruguay, 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 Uruguay. Uruguay. There we go. I'll let Woody handle the pronunciations. <laughs> versus Colombia. Yeah. Right. Or no. And uh, yeah, you guys, you guys take it away with the recap. Um, whoever wants to start it off, go ahead. I mean, Solana Sol- Sol- is the diehard Uruguay fan here. I'm like wearing his I, Luis I, Suarez shirt. Right, for those exactly. Can't see. I, I, I would, I would definitely say I prioritize my USA fandom more than my Colombia fandom. I don't know if Solana would say the same. So go on. No, I mean, I, I root for, uh, I root for the United States, but yeah. I mean, Uruguay, Uruguay definitely, uh, definitely has my heart. Uh, no, I mean, look, I, I, Woody, I mean, every time Uruguay goes to Colombia, it's a tough game. I don't know if just the lack of the fans. I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, even how to state it, but uh, a 3-0 result in Colombia, in Barranquilla, to me was like, like you can't ask for more. Uh, uh, Suarez gets another PK. He's just racking up PKs in the uh, eliminatorias. But Cavani comes back, actually looks solid, gets an early goal. Uh, big week for Cavani, by the way, to tie it into the Premier League, gets his first goal with yeah. the Reds, and then his first goal back uh, with Uruguay. Um but I am rocking my Suarez shirt today because he was uh, tested positive for COVID. So Uruguay plays Brazil tomorrow and not having Suarez is a huge deal. But uh, I, just a quick summation of the game. Uruguay, I was telling you guys last time I was on, they're young talent uh, all yeah. across the field and especially in their midfield. And they lost Federico Valverde for a couple months because he got hurt in Madrid and for Real. And you saw that they had depth and it's just young guys all across the midfield. Nandes, Torreira, Betancourt. Um, so, like, it's really, as, as a, a young Ur- or, or a Uruguay fan watching this, this youth movement, as your Suarez and Cavani's get older, your Golins get older, and then the Josema Rodriguez, just, like, him being on the field. He's, like, he's not LeBron, but his impact <laughs> for Uruguay in terms of what he does is LeBron-esque. Um, Uruguay against Ecuador Go, uh, Josema didn't play because he had come down with COVID as well and if you watch that game Godin played and Godin is known as like a very trustworthy defender I mean his resume speaks for itself right he looked yeah. absolutely dreadful and he played next to a young defender named Araujo who actually plays for Barcelona he's hurt now as well and those two just looked terrible they looked like one of the worst center back combos <laughs> you could have watched and then you just plop in a Josema Rodriguez and Godin looks like an all-star again. So like his impact just for being on the field really elevates everybody else's play. But 
Uh, again, the youth movement I was telling you guys about last year, if you're a soccer fan and you haven't checked out Uruguay's young roster, please, I'm telling you a lot of exciting players. They play in all the best teams around the world. And uh, it's, it, was, it was a fun, I mean, Woody, I'm sorry, but a fun 3-0 <laughs> result for La Cereste. Yeah, and, and from a Colombia perspective, it, it really just seems like they had a bunch of the ball, but they couldn't do a great deal with it. Uh, I actually think it's probably the, the two headlines from a Colombia perspective are uh, the two players that are actually at Everton in the Premier League. You have uh, Yeremina gets sent off in the 90th minute of play, just in general. Um, I think there are, like, he's such a boomer bust center back. Like, and, and it's unfair. I think there's, like, a whole class of center backs that in bygone eras would have been amazing, right? When you didn't ask, uh, you, you, you didn't have so many center backs who were asked to play the ball with their feet. Uh, and I think Mina is another one. He's just six foot four, big unit, can win in the air, but you ask him to play with his feet or, or chase down runners in behind and uh, does not look the same. So he got, he got a second yellow card. And then the other is Hamas, um, who I still don't think uh, looks the same. Uh, this is going to sound ridiculous from a testicle injury. <laughs> like he said, he said a couple of weeks out with Everton. Uh, he came back uh, in their loss to Manchester United. And there was a couple of really good pieces about how a lot of Manchester United's attack went down his side. And it's another thing from a bygone era. He's just a flat out number 10, right? Yep. Where he's all about the creativity, what he does with a, from a passing point of view. But now in the modern game, you got to defend, especially if you're going to play as a winger. And so the fact that he doesn't do that defensive work um, and he's not fully fit, I think probably uh, gave Colombia enough problems. And then you had Jefferson Lerma, the Bournemouth player who probably wasn't good enough uh, in central midfield. There's just some issues right now. And Colombia all of a sudden find themselves in a fairly difficult position going forward here where they're, they're on four points from three games. They're away at Ecuador, which is a tough game. And yep. if you find yourself behind the eight ball and, you know, Paraguay picks up points, Uruguay picks up points. Um, then all of a sudden you're, you know, on the outside looking in for qualification. Things can turn fairly quickly in South American World Cup qualifying, but for the moment, Colombia is not off to a good start. Yeah, it's tough in, in South America. Like, like you don't realize it. You see the 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 heavyweights, right? Like Brazil, Argentina. I mean, they're they're probably gonna make it. Uh, it I mean, Brazil is gonna make it. They already yeah. have nine points. But um, like, if you're Colombia, you don't you don't get points against Ecuador, and then I don't, I don't remember when the next um, the the next like set of games are, but like, if you don't pick up points there, all of a sudden, like, you, you could legitimately already this early on lose qualification. In South America, it's tough. Like, even the Venezuelas, the, the Paraguays, like, most people don't realize it, but those are tough wins, especially on the road. Yeah. Like, those are really tough games to pick up points. Defensively, like, these teams just hunker down, and it's hard to score. So, I think Colombia's talented. Like, I mean, they, they clearly, right? Like, they have yeah. one of the better rosters in South America. But just because you're talented, Uruguay's a testament to that doesn't mean you're guaranteed one of those top four spots because in, in 06, Uruguay didn't make it. In 2010, they had to go to the repechaje game and they barely... The playoffs. The, the playoffs, the, the, right. The I'm playoffs sorry. for those in the I'm audience that don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I speak in Spanglish. Uh, <laughs> and, and like Uruguay consistently had to make those games and, you know, we're regarded as one of the, the, the better South American sides, um, whatever that's worth. And uh, and if you're Colombia, you don't want to be in that situation. So, yeah, it's uh, it sucks, too, because I want to see Colombia do well. Like, they're one of the more exciting teams. And I also – I love I love beating them, too, because half of Miami is Colombian. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I feel like you you want Colombia in because we throw the best parties for, yeah. for World <laughs> yeah. Cup matches. Like, yeah. I, in, in Miami for, during World Cup time, big Colombia matches are the, are the best. Are the yeah. best. Like, well, like unless, uh, really, any any South American game is great, but Colombia in particular, whew, 
Yeah, unless you're Uruguay playing Colombia in 2014, and I'm watching it at a Colombian, basically a Colombian party. I was, <laughs> I was at, Why I was at, uh, at Fado's, and oh. oh my god, like there was there was so many fights. <laughs> yeah, there was just so many my, fights. My my favorite was I was uh, I was at a German uh, uh, pub for their their win over Sweden, which is like their only good moment of the last World Cup. But oh my god, what a scene that was. Yeah. Yeah. You guys should definitely check out World Cup action in Miami. It's worth it. <laughs> it really it's, is. It, it really is worth it, it. It's the best city of the, for the World Cup for me. Yeah. Yeah, and and for those Americans who um who think they haven't seen a a Uruguay or Colombia match, you probably have because at least a bit of it because on all those commercials when James Rodriguez his volley from 2014. That was versus Mr. Solana's Uruguay side. <laughs> oh, that volley is so um, sweet. I, I, yeah. I still remember. I still remember Peter Drury's commentary. This boy's a star. Like, yeah. like he just goes crazy. It's the that, what a goal that was. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not even joking. That still stings. Like that's that. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So, um, last thing before we we move on to to the U.S. men's team, um, we brought up Cavani, um, Solana, and man, he's he's been one of my favorite um, players from the past ten years or so. Just, I mean, no reason in particular. I just I've loved the way he's played um, since he was with. I liked his link up with um, Ibra at PSG. Um, right. What what are your thoughts on his his signing with Man U, and and what do you expect from him? I mean. Season? I'm I'm definitely biased. I'll, look, I mean, you guys know after after our last podcast, like anybody listening yeah. knows, I'm biased towards the Uruguayan. So I'm sure Woody <laughs> Woody Woody can give an impartial uh, assessment. But I will say, I was just to see him in a top league, a top club to me was a, a win on terms of signing. I know there was like some Benfica talk, and there was like Inter and Atletico rumors just being uh, tossed around. Miami or Milan. Mill. Both, <laughs> both. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I was just happy to see him go to a, a top club in a top league somewhere. And I don't think he'll, he'll be getting starter minutes, right? He won't be playing 90 minutes a game. I don't think he needs to do that. I think he'll be an impactful player for Manchester, at least at the very least this season. And I know a lot of people have him written off already as old and washed, but man, he can really change a game for you if he comes in. He can score from pretty much anywhere. He, he can score with his head, which is important too if you're down in a game, set pieces, corner kicks. Um, I still think he's a dynamic forward. He can't, again, he can't do the 90 minutes anymore. Like he just can't. But when he's in there, he's a workhorse. Nobody runs the way Cavani runs on a field. Nobody. Like the guy runs. Yep. If, if, if you leave him out there 90 minutes, he'll run 90 minutes. Like he truly will. His play might drop yeah. a little bit, right? Like his, his level of play may have dropped a bit, but – he was leading goal scorer of PSG two years ago. Like he, right. I mean, this is this is this is still a a very good player. And you saw it the other day. He comes in for Uruguay. He scores in the twelfth minute. Like this is. I still think. And again, I understand I'm biased, but I still think a a uh, a, a guy who can contribute on uh, on an important club. Well, and and to to kind of piggyback off that, I mean, if you're gonna say that anyone runs harder than Edson Cavani, it'd be his national team teammate Luis Suarez. For me, when I think yeah, of yeah. running from a center forward, I think of Suarez. But uh, to me, what I think he does have a chance to even have an, a, a bigger role than you're talking about, uh, because 
he is still, to me, the only player in that Manchester United team that has a center forward's instincts, right? right? That makes the runs, that gets, that tries to get on, you know, the near post from corners and on the back post from flick-ons. Like, they're, like he's just got the instincts of a striker. And as good as Anthony Martial is or Marcus Rashford is or whoever else you have in that team, Odion Gallo, obviously, uh, to play in that position, he just has an instinct and a desire to score goals where that's all he thinks about. Whereas I'm not sure if like Anthony Martial is that same kind of player. So I think there's a real chance, like, you know, in recent times, Juan Mata has had an increased role for Manchester United when not a lot of people thought he would. I think Cavani, like, I think we're kind of entering a stage where maybe we are slightly overrating age as an impact because fitness is so good and, and players keep themselves in such good, sh- in sh- such good shape and treat their bodies so well that like, for example, Thiago Silva is 36 and is playing well for Chelsea. Like maybe this whole notion of a player is useless after they're 32 is wrong. And, uh, and I think Cavani, even despite his age can have, you know, a real impact at Manchester United. I mean, look, there's a lot of time might help Milan win Serie A at 39. Like it's yeah. not, it's not insane. Yeah. Thiago Silva scored, right? He picked up his first yeah. goal for Chelsea. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, so moving from the elder to a more youthful side, the U.S. men's national team um, has come off two, two matches during this international break, um, drawing nil-nil to Wales, which might have been a little disappointing to, to some people, um, showed some flashes in that game. But today's match versus the old Panama with a 6-2 W, big win for, for the American side. Kevin, go ahead and, and give us your take on, on how the U.S. men's national team has looked over the past week. It was a fun few days, man, and I think the, the most important word is hope. I think U.S. fans can actually have hope that this team can actually contend internationally and compete and, more importantly, just be fun to watch. Like, I remember the last time I felt joy watching this team play the way I had the last few days. Even the nil-nil draw, you saw flashes of what all these young guys are capable of. Uh, Serginio Dest, have we ever had a player like that with that much swag who could do shit like that? Like, it's so fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think Clint Dempsey's probably the only one. Like, I think, yeah, like, that's like, the Clint, only cop. Clint Dempsey led the U.S. in swag for a while. But, yeah. And there's like a few, like some, some, some diehards will tell you that like John O'Brien when he was at Manchester United was like a proper <laughs> player like that. But that's like going way back. Yeah. Now, I think uh, I, I think um, Oguchi Onyewu also had a little <laughs> bit of swag prior to his knee injury. Yeah, that's a good shout. That's my Woody comparison on the pitch, by the way. Oguchi Onyewu. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just I, I love I love calling you the Oguchi Onyewu <laughs> of Sunday soccer. I was just so happy to see that, you know. And speaking of Clint Dempsey, the Gio Reyna got knocked down in that Wales draw, and he got up pissed off, you know. And he, he was yeah. still seventeen then, and you know just. You, Imagine being 17 and being the face of, of, a, of a national team like this. Just the pressure on him. And then the way he scored today was just so calm and cool. And the way he celebrated was like, yeah, that's what I do. And I'm going to do that a lot, you know. So that was cool to see. Um, I already mentioned this. Weston McKinney playing overseas has obviously helped him a ton because he's a different player now. He was just all over the place. Um, I don't know what we have to do to keep Musa on the U.S. men's national team, but I'll do it. Whatever the hell it is, I'll do it. <laughs> to. So, start, a, start a GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. But, man, it's, just, it's, exciting. it's an exciting time to be a fan of the U.S. men's national team. And just, you know, you read about all these guys and they get hyped, and then you finally see them on the pitch and what they can do. And I know we're missing, like, some key names, who key players who aren't, like, big names, like Josh Sargent and Jordan Morris. So there's even – and obviously Pulisic, you know, who is a big name, but – there's pieces there, and it's interesting to see how Beerhalter is going to kind of like 
put it all together when it's time for qualifying and to make a run, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, man, well, I'm glad that the, the U.S. Is, has been welcomed into this decade of attacking <laughs> football. And they're, they're actually showing a little bit of flair. Um, you, can, you can see with the, with the passing, the flicks, and um, they're, they're actually doing attacking with a purpose. They're not just passing it around, crossing one in, hoping for a header, and they're not, we're not just hoping to score goals off of um, corners and, and free kicks like, like we have been. Um, it's, it's, it's like they're playing a new sport almost, the way, the way that they're attacking. Um, yeah, my, my, I had um, Yunus Musa down as, as one of my biggest X factors. I don't, I don't think a lot of people really knew about him. I, I didn't. Um, and him seeing that he's with Valencia, a big, a big club in, in La Liga, um, I, I saw he's, he's already he scored a goal for them. Um, so him producing for, for that big club is, is a big benefit. Um, Gio Reyna, is, he's obviously a stud, man. He's, he's going to produce for a long time. Um, I think the biggest thing with him, that's, that's a benefit for the U.S. as a whole because he's going to take a little bit of pressure off Pulisic. I think with, with Pulisic being, having the Captain America title and all that, to, I mean, that's, that's a huge weight on his shoulders, man. And, and for him to have some, somebody on the opposite side or, or linked up in the middle, wherever they end up playing Pulisic, that's, that's huge for him. Um, the fullbacks, man, they're, they can ball, man. Um, obviously Dest, um, Reggie Cannon and Robinson as well. Um, Kevin, I don't, your boy, Deandre Yedlin, man, he, he's going to have a battle, man. Um, it's <laughs> it's going to be tough for him, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll pass the experts here real quick too. Uh, I know it was against Panama, but I mean, Dest and Cannon look like such a better combo with Dest on the left. Then with Dest on the right and uh, Anthony Robinson on the left, do you think they solved that problem? Um, I, I, I don't love this. I don't love that solution because I think Sergio Dest's best position is as a right back. Um, but really, the issue is that there is an obvious uh, left back who I think is on the level of Reggie Cannon. So if Dest can provide you know the width from the left hand side and he's comfortable with it, then those are your two best players in that position. That's ultimately what national team football is all about: is how do you figure out a way to comfortably get your best 11 players on the field. And, and so, you know, for example, I think Gio Reyna is playing out of position as a winger, but that's what the national team necessitates. When you, you can play as number 10 for Dortmund, but that doesn't really exist when you get into the United States. So he's got to get comfortable uh, playing on that side. I just want to hit on a point that I think was really important uh, when you mentioned that Reyna as a counterpart to Pulisic. It, it, like when we saw the U.S. at the Gold Cup last year, it really felt like Christian Pulisic and 10 other guys Right. It really yeah. felt like there's no one else on this dude's level. And the yeah. fact that like now you've got like five dudes on right. Christian Pulisic's level, it's like it feels so much different. Right. Yeah. Where it's like it's not just Christian, go do something. It's like, well, Giorena, why don't you do something? Tyler Adams, go buzz around midfield. Weston McKinney, do some creative shit in the middle. Uh, Sergio right. Dest as Barcelona right back. Like, you know, there's so, there's so much pedigree that like yeah. it's not just Christian Pulisic's team. And that's really important because otherwise you start to feel like you're totally reliant on this player. Right. And it's, it's almost like we were a super poor man's version of Argentina who was based everything around yeah. Messi. And, yeah. and whenever he wasn't on, it, nothing was happening. And it was similar to Pulisic. So, so with this, um, these, new, these young guys coming up, it, it's only going to help them. Um, and then my last takeaway, it's the one negative um, that I'll say is I, I still think we're, we're too – I don't think we have a solid center back um, I don't think either any of the pairings are 
Um, super legit. I mean, the two guys that we threw out there today had their chance in the Premier League, um, and they've they've taken their steps down, weren't able to prove themselves for for different reasons. Um, and I think I think we're gonna. I mean, if we want to take that step into making to the top eight or whatever, um, making a legit knockout run, I think we still need to shore that up. Um, I don't know who we got in got in the backups, but um, that was my one take. I mean, Zach Steffen, he's, he's a hell of a goalkeeper, but I think he needs, he needs a little bit more help right in front of him. Agreed. So. For me, for me, the, the best American center back, I think we saw him in the first game and he was good, uh, was John Brooks. Uh, I think yeah. you can, you can pencil him in for one spot. I guess the question is, you know, what is the other, the, the hope would be that by next summer, by World Cup, by, by World Cup 22 for me is like the hope is that Chris Richards takes that spot. He's at Bayern yeah. Munich now. He's actually played some, albeit as a right back. But your hope is that yeah. a guy who got a move from FC Dallas to Bayern Munich would be good enough to play at that position. And all of a sudden, that's another player with immense club pedigree that you can, you can plop into that spot. Yeah, Brooks is definitely good. But I think he's only – you can only count on him for one more World Cup. I don't yeah. think he's going to be – That's fair. He's not going to last till 2026. Um, so is, is, uh, is Miazga, I don't know if I'm saying his name, right. Miazga. Um, I, I honestly, I didn't watch the entire game, so I, I I don't feel comfortable giving like an analysis. I just watched the highlights or the condensed, like 15 minute match, but, uh, is Miazga like he's, he's, I know he's on loan, but he's a Chelsea guy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is there, he's only, I'm just looking it up here. He's only 25. Like, is there hope there or are you, are you already writing him off at 25? Um, I mean, I think he will probably feature it in the squad. I just don't know if, like, as a starting center back for the U.S. national team. I think, like, he got another move. Uh, I think he's in I think he's in Belgium now. He's, yeah, he's playing for Anderlecht uh, yeah. with Vincent Company. He's another one of these players that's gone to Chelsea and just basically every year gets a different loan move. Um, there, there, there have been a few players that have seen their careers kind of take a turn uh, as a result of being what's called the loan army uh, in Chelsea. Um, and – I think, you know, he was promising in New York Red Bulls. He got a chance to go to Chelsea and he took it, but it ultimately wasn't best uh, for his development. I think he's another player that's just big and tall. He's like his most famous moment was in a game against Mexico when he's playing against Diego Lainez, who plays in Spain, and he's like a foot taller than him. And he was basically making fun of him for being short, right? Like, the, like and, and, and in some ways, yeah. that's like a perfect encapsulation of like one, like what's wrong with the American mentality of what it takes to be good at sports and particularly soccer. And two, that like, <laughs> You know, in a bygone era, a big, tall center back who can win in the air would be great. But in Greg Berhalter's system where they want to pass the ball and play with their feet, it's not especially helpful. And that's the area for me that he struggles at. Yeah. And I think he, he's a victim of – he got thrown into the Premier League a little too soon. Um, well, just, okay, but I mean, you can say that, but I think, you know, Gio Reyna's at Dortmund at 18. Tyler Adams yeah. got thrown into Leipzig in, in Germany at 19. Like – you know, they're like right now succeeding as a teenager is not a rarity. I mean, I think was 21 when he moved to yeah. Chelsea. It's just, it's just about, you know, getting the right club, you know, that he's going to play, which is why I think Germany is a great place for these kids to go. Cause you know, German clubs play their kids. So yeah. I think, uh, you know, we're getting smarter about this in terms of not just that you want to sell a player to a big club, but you want to sell them to a specific club to help that player grow. So I, I think that like the reason why, we're so excited about the U.S. right now is because there's just an increased savvy about the careers of these players. And that can turn quickly because, you know, a 15-year-old who's in a good situation can very quickly become a promising 19-year-old. And it doesn't take that long for it to really fix, which is what happened with Gio Reyna. He was at the Academy of NYCFC and then got a move to Dortmund and it's worked for him. So I think, you know, it's, it, you can turn it around 
with, with an increasing amount of savvy. And I think we're seeing that uh, all across MLS right now is the most promising prospects are being well-treated. And that's why all of a sudden, I mean, when would you have ever imagined a U.S. team fielding a group of teenagers that actually had proven something on the international stage? Never mind, we're just like, you know, Jordan Morris at Stanford. Like, that's what, that's what a promising teenager used to be, was Jordan Morris making his debut for the U.S. while he was still at Stanford. Like, you know, called into the national team, Jordan Morris, parenthetically, Stanford. Like, that, that won't ever happen again. I, w- I was shocked, by the way, like going through some of this roster today. I mean, really, it's everybody plays overseas. Every, everybody and everybody's 19, 22. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I know Giochina, I think he plays in the second division in, in France. Yep. Um, but, and, and I get it. Like, obviously, you don't want to see anybody play in the second division. But still, like, he's overseas. He's getting good experience. And, like, scoring in international play is not easy. Like, it's really not. I know it's Panama, but... Uh, like you have somebody, I, I, and I follow the U.S. loosely, but I've never heard of Giochina and he's scoring two goals for you. He's overseas. He's what, 18? Like, that's good for this USA team. Like, that's really good. Like, you just have a bunch of guys who are technically gifted, by the way. Like, that was a huge problem with U.S. soccer is just somebody watched it, not religiously, but, you know, just casually. Like, there was very, very few players who were technically gifted. No offense, but when Landon Donovan's your best technical player, like that's a problem, right? Like yeah. really, like that's a problem. Um, so like this was this was uh, a, a good a good start, I think, or is a good start for U.S. soccer. Well, and 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 as we and I, you know, I mentioned earlier the point about Miazga, right? It used to be we would prioritize, prioritize athleticism, right? And right. and even and even the like if our best athletes played soccer, right? That whole I that whole notion is based off of well, if only we had our you know the players with the fastest, you know, that are fastest, that could jump the highest that, you know, or the tallest and they'd played soccer that we'd all of a sudden be good at it when that's not the case. As you mentioned, it's about technical ability. It's about tactical acumen. It's about a knowledge of the game and an under and an understanding of how to, how to kind of bend the game to your will uh, that allows you to be good at soccer. So uh, I think the, the fact that we're now teaching that and understand that as opposed to let's just try harder than everyone else with our tremendous athletes uh, is, is why you see a growth in the game. Pulisic is a great example of that, right? You would say, yeah. or like athletically, not that he's not athletic, but he's not, he, you know, he, when, yeah. when people use that argument, you know, and I, I say that sometimes too, like, oh, put Russell Westbrook uh, on a soccer field, right? Uh, but like Pulisic is not Russell Westbrook. He's just smart. Like he understands yes. soccer. He's a footballer, as Woody yes. would say. He's a, he, he, he's a <laughs> he's pure a pro, footballer. He's a proper footballer, mate. A proper yeah. footballer. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and like it, it is that understanding. And I mean, he's got like a good bit of quickness and, and agility and all that. Right, right. And, and those, like there's a fundamental amount of it. But again, if you saw Christian Pulisic walking down Ocean Drive on South Beach, you wouldn't pick, out, you wouldn't pick him out of a lineup. He's just a guy. It's us. It's one of us. He's smaller than us. Like, he, like he's yeah. not even like that big of a guy. Like I, I've met him in person. He's like kind of underwhelming. Like when you meet, it's like, wow, really? Okay. But like Messi is the same. That's the whole point yeah. is that it's not about uh, how tall, big, fast, uh, strong you are. It's like, do you understand the game? Like, do you have uh, that knowledge? And, and I think the U.S. are now finally, finally. And also like, I think there was kind of this thought that if Jurgen Klinsmann took over and said, well, I'm going to coach you guys to do this, that 
all of a sudden everything would change. But then we got to the World Cup in 2014. He was in charge. And it was the same U.S. team that we've always seen, right? It's not like you don't coach your way to this happening. You develop players into this happening. And like even in the middle of Greg Berhalter's tenure, it went from he was trying to coach it to now it just happens because all of a sudden you have this generation of players that has come up. They're really good. They're all playing. And now all of a sudden the U.S. look like this. It's not because of coaching. It's because of, you know, talent development, player development, and these guys testing themselves at the highest level. I think that's the biggest thing I'm hopeful about is, is the goals that they score today. You don't see the U.S. score those goals. I mean, they usually score on rebounds and set pieces and whatever, but like, I mean, they were, they were making proper crosses, great runs. They, they knew where each other were going to yeah. be. For me, for me, for me, for me, the, the, the best example of that is the third goal, right? So that yeah, is really good exactly. passage of play. And the ball comes to Tyler Adams on kind of like a second phase. And he sees the run of Weston McKinney kind of bending through the box, plays it perfectly into stride. And I thought, even if this ball goes over the line and he hit it too hard, it's still like the idea, right? The idea of finding that run. And McKinney just about keeps it inside, loops it to the back post. Miadzga heads across and Giacchini turns it in. But it's just like the beginning of that, that the, the run and like you see all the time, and I see it as well in MLS because I, I commentate into Miami, right? The difference between the highest level player is someone is usually making the right run, but even sometimes there isn't that level of understanding, but it's can the player on the ball see it and play it early enough that it's effective. And that is a level that the U.S., in my opinion, very rarely has reached as long as I've been watching them. Uh, I mean, you can probably go back and find instances. Like, I always think of this one goal that they scored before the World Cup in 2014. They played this friendly uh, against Turkey at Red Bull Arena, and Fabian Johnson played this one, too. That's, like, still one of the best U.S. goals I've ever seen. I don't know why I remember it. But, like, it's a, it's a, it's a higher level of understanding. Uh, and I think you saw it on, on the third goal for the U.S. today. Yeah, and, and right after that goal, I literally texted Kevin and, and the other guys. and said, that's a goal that U.S. never produces ever. And it's yeah. it's – it's that bit of, it's, like you said, it's, it's just that bit of creativity and, um, and thinking about different kind of passes that um, we, haven't, we haven't really seen. Um, and, don't, and, and don't downplay just being smart as a forward, center forward, a nine, and just hanging around the box. Both of Giochino's goals literally were, I'm just going to stand on the, on the six-yard line of the penalty box and, hey, cleanup duty. And like, bro, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, man. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with just scoring nice little chip-ins from the yeah. six-yard box because you're playing Panama and they're not a great defensive team. They're going to make mistakes. And uh, in the CONCACAF, you're going to play a bunch of teams like that who mm -hmm. their level play isn't great. They're going to play defense for 85% of the game. They're going to stack the box or park the bus, as, as uh, Americans like to say. And at the end of the day, there's going to be mistakes and you have to be able to finish those goals. Like those, those just clean up duty goals. Like you have to be able to have a guy that's going to do that. So don't underestimate that just being, that's just, that's just savviness. Like that's yeah. being good. Yeah. That's what we were talking about with Cavani earlier, right? Just like that understanding of, you right. know, being around in the middle of the six yard box and being there to take advantage. And yeah. you know, for that Giacchini has it in like his first, you know, full starts. Like, okay. Like maybe he does have this instinct. Now, again, yeah. let's couch everything by saying they're playing Panama. Uh, <laughs> you know, people, uh, you know, correctly noted this might be like the worst Panama team in the last 20 years. Like from an op and, and but Solana's right. Like you're going to have to beat them. 
I'm, I'm kind of curious if they can do it away because the U S has always struggled away from home in these, you know, central American and, and Caribbean locales where it's, you know, it's tough to go to San Pedro Sula and beat Honduras away. Like it's not easy, yeah. but if the U S can start to make it look easy, be like, wow, what a moment for this program. And, and to be fair, you know, we're crediting the youth movement. I just literally, that's all I've talked about with the U S yeah. is oh, the youth movement. Great, great. It's hard. Young players, not that much experience to go to Honduras to go to Costa Rica, <laughs> to go to Mexico, win in Azteca. Like, it is hard. So as much as yeah. I, I just I, – and it's not a bad thing, like, right? Like, you want to play young players, this is great for the U.S., but don't forget, in this qualifying campaign, that's going to be something where, you know, the, the U.S. might struggle early on or, yeah. or they might struggle late in games. They might give up late goals just or, because you have young players. Or they might frustrate their fans by picking a more veteran-laden team with some MLS guys that understand what sure. the deal is when you go away and play against teams and don't do it. And also – like, don't expect that, you know, obviously things are going great right now from a youth development uh, standpoint. You, you've talked about Yunus Musa. Holy shit, how, how cool would it be if he picked the U.S.? He's got, you can pick between the U.S., Ghana, Italy, and England, right? Like, like last 20 years, like you're the worst of that, of that group, right? So if you manage to pull this off, incredible bit of recruitment. But we also kind of assume that just because things are going well for these players right now, they're just going to be on this continual upward trajectory. When, I mean, it's possible that some of the guys you're feeling great about now have a dip in form that, you know, their club changes manager and the new manager doesn't like them as much. So they don't play as much. Like it's not inevitable that all these good young players we're watching now are going to continue to grow and get better. It's Nicolas Lodero. <laughs> I thought, I thought Lodero uh, yeah. for the, for you Seattle fans, when he See, started man, off his career, this. right. When he started off his career with Uruguay and my favorite club team in Uruguay, Nacional, I, he went to Ajax. I could have sworn this guy was going to be the next Messi. Like, seriously, like the way he played in South America, took our team to the, the um, uh, Copa Libertadores, which is like our Champions League, to the semifinal. Like, this guy was a stud. And now he's, I mean, now he's balling in MLS, but like, that's, that's what he is. He's a, he's a yeah. great MLS player, nothing more. He kind of fizzled out in Europe. Yeah, and I think that is, speaking of, of uh, Musa, as far as those, those talents who have options, um, as far as what they want to do internationally. That's another thing, like if you look at, like say the Wales match, for example, a nil-nil draw, I mean, that's a negative for, for the U.S. as far as attracting those type of, of talent um, because it, it, it's a knockdown on our resume because if we, if we beat Wales 1-0, that's a better result for those people, those kind of talents who, who, are, who have the options like like we said with Musa, with Italy, Ghana, and England. Um, so that's um, definitely yeah, one I mean, thing. I, I mean, you, you want to impress, you know, when, when you have those guys in the camp. Um, I, yeah. I, find, I find the Serginho Dest uh, example to be really instructive because, uh, frankly, I think Serginho Dest could be a first-team player for the Netherlands now. If you look at the players that they're playing in his position right now, he could be a first-team starter for the Netherlands now. And the Netherlands historically, even though they've missed the last two major tournaments in qualifying, are a much better national team uh, than the United States are. But it's about how, you know, the U.S., first off, um, more than any other country can give young players is an opportunity earlier. Because if you're Eunice Musa, you're, you know, he plays as a central midfielder for the U.S. and as a winger for, uh, for the United States what path is there to getting a full national team call-up for England, for instance, right? Like yeah. in, the, in, in central midfield, like you're competing with Mason Mount and Declan Rice and Harry Winks and all these guys who are legit. If you, if you want to play as a right winger, good luck. you got to, you know, unseat Jaden yeah. Sancho and, 
and uh, and Raheem Sterling and Jack Grealish and all these. Inc- I mean, Marcus Rashford, these incredible young players. So the U.S., right. you know, if, if you create the right environment, which it seems like they have, um, you know, because you know, using Sergio Des as an example, you can basically use the offer of playing time, right? Which is what you know, like when Giuseppe Rossi chose Italy over the U.S. It was yeah. like, wait, why would you choose Italy? Like you're going to play with us. Like you're the first name on the team sheet if you play with us. I mean, there's been players, you know, throughout time that have decided. And he to didn't go. play. He did. He barely. Yeah. He yeah. barely. I think he went to one World Cup, that one where he yeah. chose Italy, and then that's it. He never got the call up ever again. Yeah, and and you have these, you know, like in some ways international is a bit like college football recruiting where like you've got to you got to lay the groundwork and as you said like you know winning a game against wales at the same time to be fair to the u.s like they hadn't played together in a year these are an entirely new combination of guys you know they're they're trying to you know deal with covid they're all young and uh you know they basically had two training sessions after landing in an entirely new city so like it wasn't going to be perfect i actually thought you know they showed enough and musa showed enough to be like all right i kind of i kind of belong with these guys i fit with these guys and it works yeah, that's oh, how I felt about that game too. And if the U.S. had a striker against Wales, you know, I don't know why they're starting legit up top, but I mean, they, they could have scored a goal or two, maybe. There were opportunities there, you know. Yeah, and like and like Solana said with Jacini, right? You just have someone who stood in the middle, like maybe you profit off one of the chances. I mean, and look, if you're like the more complex you do things at the national team level, the harder it is to pull off. So, like playing with a false nine is not easy comfortable or normal for a lot of guys and so there's a, there's a whole adjustment that has to happen around it and so like you know I, and I think that's something that Greg Berhalter has to work on because from what I've read and heard in his interviews he seems to be a really studied uh, and tactical manager but it's really hard to implement that at national team level because you know you, you don't you only have so much time like time is of you like you've kind of you've kind of got to make it as basic and as normal as possible that's by the way what you know uruguay's manager oscar washington Daladis does really well is you know you know the system you know the style of play you just got to pluck in and fit in and like you know i think that's kind of what the u.s kind of has to do is just lay a very simple groundwork for what this is going to be yeah that's why when i saw the the formation right before i watched the uh, the highlights i'm like uh Giacchini's playing false nine. <laughs> okay, good luck. And then I watched the game. I'm like, oh, holy shit, this guy scored two goals. Yeah. Like that, that, that's a very tough position to play. Young team, like that has to be probably arguably your, your best playmaker. Like the, the best playmaker on the field, if you're going to play that style formation, has to be the false nine. So um, that's also something to look at, as Woody just said. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all kind of all good looks for, for the U.S. Um, in the future. So that's, uh, that'll do it for the international talk. Last thing before we get you guys out of here, um, we want to include you guys for our predictions for this <laughs> weekend's go. Premier League. So last on our last episode, um, me, Kevin and Isaac um, got in our predictions. So um, either a result for one of the clubs or a draw. So we'll start off um, with, we had, we only picked five matches. Um, so the first one, Chelsea, at Newcastle, I'm going to go ahead and pencil in um, Chris for a Chelsea, um, considering where his um, professional duties lie. My paycheck comes from. <laughs> yeah. Solana, um, Chelsea at Newcastle. What you got? Uh, it's, uh, it's at Newcastle. And I, uh, I told Steak last time we talked that I'm a huge Newcastle fan because I love where they play. So let's go. Give me, give me the the white and blacks, baby. I'm going the Magpies. One, one, one the stat Magpies. in your one stat in your favor, by the way. Uh, Chelsea don't like going to Newcastle. Their last seven trips, Newcastle have won five, 
drawn one, and Chelsea have only won once at St. James's Park in their last seven trips. So uh, form there would suggest, but I, th- I just think Chelsea have, have been incredible in the last few weeks. They're too strong. I think they'll win. Yeah. Yeah, Chelsea's looking hot, man. So next up, we got Liverpool at Leicester. Uh, intriguing matchup. Um, yeah. Two, two high-power attacking clubs. Leicester, Leicester's been hot this year. Liverpool's not – they're not up to par from, from where they're at last year. Um, Solana, start this one off. What, what you got in this one? Uh, I'll go Liverpool in this one. So, um, Witty? I'm going to go – so th- this international break was unkind to Liverpool. Uh, they're yeah. already without Virgil van Dijk. Joe Gomez had knee surgery, so without their top two center backs. Uh, Jordan Henderson might have picked up a knock with England. Uh, Mo Salah has COVID-19 that he picked up with Egypt. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be ready uh, for this game in time. <laughs> I, I, and, like, uh, given all that, I would pick Leicester, but uh, I just have this fear of Liverpool because I don't like them. And so, yeah. <laughs> and like, every time I root against them, they seem to, like, figure it out. So I would pick a Leicester win, given all that, all, that, all that bit of evidence. I'll instead pick a draw. I'll go for a draw between Liverpool and Leicester. I wish, uh, I wish you would have asked Witty there first, because I didn't know any of that. So uh, my, my <laughs> Liverpool, my, I, I pick Liverpool with no, for n- absolutely no reason other than I just think Liverpool is going to win this game. And then Witty came in and shot over my pick. <laughs> well, you can, I mean, you can never go wrong with a Liverpool pick, man. Yeah. You, they just got talent everywhere. So third up on the list, we have Southampton at Wolves. This, I will Woody? go first, Woody. No, I will go, go on, first here, go Woody. <laughs> I am not picking, I will not pick against Southampton for the rest of the premiership. And without Danny Ings, I still think they're one of the best teams in the Premier League. I still yeah. think they're one of the best teams in the Premier League. They, they've done well with, uh, with uh, Shea Adams, or at least they did well in their first game. Uh, Danny Ings with Shea Adams in the line. Go for a draw here. Um, I just I, I found uh, Wolves' games to be a bit dire this season. I've not really enjoyed watching them. I think they kind of suck teams into their style of play more than the reverse. I've loved how Southampton have played in recent times. So I'll go for a draw. All right. Up next, Arsenal at Leeds. So Arsenal continues to be Arsenal so far this year. Um, Leeds <laughs> showed spurts early, but starting to uh, taper off a little bit. Witty, go ahead and start this one off. It's a tough one. It's a tough one yeah. because because I think you know Arsenal um, are certainly capable um, of pulling off a result. I, I just realized I've gone for two consecutive draws. Make it three in a row. I'm gonna go for a draw here uh, just because you know I think Leeds obviously are starting to be figured out a little bit. Uh, they got, you know, you know, plucked four one uh, by, yeah. by crystal palace, but at the same time, uh, I just don't, I don't think Arsenal's games are ever going to be that high scoring. So I, I would like, I would go for a score draw there and say one, one, I might even bet it when we're done with this. Uh, I'm just going nice. to assume, I'm going to assume that I have this premonition. I'm going to go for one, one in that one. Hey, I, I think it was, I think it was last weekend, man. If you would have took draws on every match, you would have hit, it was either last week or the weekend before, but man, you would have hit big if you would have bet draw on every match. Um, so Lana. Uh, so Witty earlier mentioned Miazga being, uh, you know, making fun of a short soccer player as uh, kind of being one of the problems with American soccer. Well, picking a draw for every single game is, <laughs> is something Americans don't like. So I won't, I won't do that. And uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Leeds. Let's go Leeds. In, in, I like it. In the name of Ira Winderman. Ira Winderman and Jake Winderman. I'll go Leeds. <laughs> Who is also, that? 
He's a, a beat reporter that covers the Heat, but his son and him are huge Leeds United fans. I just ran the funniest yeah, thing. By the way, Ira Linderman is actually the, I, I learned this the other day, the longest serving NBA beat writer of any one team. He's been with the Heat since their very first season in 1989. Uh, wow. And like, he's like one of my favorite people to do radio with. And like inexplicably him and his son have picked up a, an interest in Leeds. So uh, when, uh, when, they were, when they were in the championship, by the way. Yes, so it's not even right. like they no, jumped on the bandwagon. bandwagon. Right. Like, like I just, Jake, his son, has like been watching bootleg streams of uh, of championship soccer for years now. So yeah. he's proper. Yep. And to cap things off, um, arguably the match of the weekend, Manchester City at Tottenham. Um, unfortunately, we don't have our resident Tottenham guy, Isaac, here to um, has he ever be picked a, home, a super homer. No, never. <laughs> but that's why I always pick against him just, just because he's annoying. So Solana, what you got in this one? Well, I always pick against City because Woody's annoying. So <laughs> give me, <laughs> give me Spurs, give me Spurs. I, I don't know why. I, I hate playing Jose Mourinho because I have a group of friends that like are obsessed with Jose Mourinho. And anytime anything bad happens to Pep, I hear about it. And anytime <laughs> something bad happens to Mourinho, it's like ah, you know, he'll go, he'll get the next one. So I'm in like this no win situation with Mourinho. So I need this one. I need this one badly uh, for, for, for Manchester city. And I also like, I just happen to think that Tottenham, uh, they've had this incredible run, you know, with, uh, with Kane and son, but they've also been playing bad teams. So I'll be curious, like their upcoming fixture list is really tough. Um, and uh, I'll be curious how they handle it, but I'll, I'll go for city. All right, good deal. And I know I said that was the last thing, but one thing last to wrap it up. You guys play men's league, Sunday league, mm. whatever you want to call it together. <laughs> so I need Solana. I need your EPL comp for Witty's play. And Witty, I need mm. your EPL or world football comp for Solana's play. So uh, wow, whichever one of you wants to start off. You can, you can go that. first, Witty, because that's, mm. that's tough for me. That's tough for me. Yeah, world football comp. Um, just like any, any, so like Mesut Ozil, James Rodriguez, creative number <laughs> 10s, right? Just like guys who, who love to be in the attacking area of the pitch, love to have the ball at their feet, and, uh, and, and are, are, trying to, are trying to cut teams apart and break teams down. So, I mean, you know, we can go, if you want to have an Uruguayan, why not? A Nico Dedo, you know, why not? Um, just, to, just to keep it true to form, plays for Seattle Sounders. But uh, Solana, very much a creative. He, he loves to have the ball. He loves to try and, uh, and, and pick passes apart in a classically South American kind of way. Wow. Uh, th- this is tough because I, I, I'm not as knowledgeable of the Premier League to remember every single center back. But Witty is as reliable a center back <laughs> as you could ask for. Whoever, whoever in the Premier League commands the most of his teammates, that so is Chris Vincent, Whittingham. Vincent, Vincent, Company. Com- Vincent Company is a great – actually, Vincent Company is a great compar- comparison. The only thing is that Company is like the most athletic person in the world. And, and, and Witty not. is not. Right. And I'm not. But, but <laughs> Witty commands the respect of the team, and, and he's great at just keeping everybody in their formation. That's, that's serious. And nobody yells at me more to get back on defense, which I need because <laughs> I'm lazy as fuck and I never get back on defense. So it, it's yeah. a very, it's, it's, so, it's a, it, I think, I think Woody and I complement each other very well on the, on the field. Actually. What about a, a Paul Murdesacker? <laughs> oh yeah. Is he that? Right. Is he that? There you go. There you go. <laughs> yes, no, uh, yeah. No, no, I, no, I'm 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 Murdesacker levels of unathletic. I believe I believe Jose Mourinho once called him a giraffe, and and that is totally <laughs> that is totally fair as a as a comp for my level of athleticism. Well, we're gonna wrap things up here. Um, we appreciate you guys joining us, man, and uh, 
We hope you guys have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. Chris, appreciate it. Solana, thank you, brother. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Y'all be good.